guy and you're going to be a runner. And I was a bit of a superstitious runner, and as I started to win my share of races, I just decided that this one particular supporter of mine was my lucky supporter. <laughs> and being a good boy scout, I, well, these are constructed with an elastic waistband, and then pieces that hang down, and they all attach in one place at the bottom, right? So I had stitched it together a couple of times because the stitching was getting worn out through all the laundry and racing and racing and laundry. Now, here I need to stop and open up a little pop-up window and tell you that we have one of the most dynamic, effective coaches uh, that I've ever come across. He was a young guy, really mouthy. He often motivated by just um, being really harsh. But we knew when we stepped on the track, having run for this guy, that we had done our homework every time. We looked forward to race days because they were easier than our workouts. And because we knew we had worked harder than everyone else lining up on the track and we were going to win. That's just how it was. One of the workouts that he loved to put us through, and he would do it randomly, we'd be running. 440s around the track, that's one lap, or half lap, or, or something, and, and we'd be doing this over and over again, and at some point during the workout, we'd whistle very loudly, I can't really do it. Whenever you whistled, the game was, you took off at a dead sprint, and you lasted as long as you could last. Whoever survived to the finish line won that round. It was kind of a game. It was teaching us sudden, hard acceleration over and over and over. Hear the whistle? Go. So, my senior year, the head song leader of our school, who everybody wanted to date, was also the track manager, and she's standing on the back stretch, rooting. I'm in a two mile race, and I'm tearing down the back stretch. I've got the guy in my sights, and I think I can outkick him. And then all of a sudden, those last couple of threads <laughs> on my supporter gave up the ghost and went home to be with God. <laughs> and I felt from somewhere deep within me a voice cry out, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And I looked up and there was the head song leader at school, and I, at that moment, wasn't even sure how far down my shorts were coming on my legs. And I was freaked out. And there was a hitch in my gait, and my coach saw it, and he whistled. And without so much as a rational thought, I jumped on the balls of my feet, and I started sprinting. Drive for home. Break the tape. Points for the team. Points on the shoulders, not too high, please. Put on my sweats as fast as I can. You can look back at our record for that year and you can say that I won a race that day. But even though I was wearing the shoes and I ran around the track, I will tell you to this day, we won a race. My colleagues who pushed me through practice, my coach who drilled us, in the disciplines of faith, we all 
Are you with me? Because Christianity is not a lone ranger enterprise. It's a team effort. But in order to be a team effort, we have to have the humility to sit down next to one another, to work alongside one another, to go before God with one another. It takes an entire team to make the church the church. Jesus never said, wherever you find yourself today, I'll be with you. He said, wherever two or more are gathered, I will be in the midst of you. Whatever two of you agree on anything you ask, I will do it for you. These mighty and powerful promises of God. And so there was a day when Jesus and his followers had come to a couple of towns, and he sent the team out. And on this particular day, they didn't break the table. The towns rejected them. Who do you think you are? Called them blasphemers. Said they were way off the mark. Said you, you have no business here with us. And Jesus said, what do I say about a town like this? You're like children in a marketplace. Who play the flute and expect people to dance around. You're like people who say, we were weeping, but you didn't cry with us. He was dealing with a whole community that said, God exists so that my life can be made better. My life can be made enriched. So that my life can be made easier. So that all my problems will go away. You're, God, in their world, was created for them. So that things would go easier. Now, we've been talking about foundations of discipleship and Hearing the promises of God that if you follow Him in the world, it's not going to go easier, but there are going to be challenges. People will rise up. People will speak to you. And people will persecute. But don't worry, because God has you in the palm of His hands. And so finally, Jesus just cried out with what one scholar calls a meteor from the Gospel of John, because it really is more wisdom literature than it belongs in Matthew. He says, I thank you, God, that you've hidden the truth from the wise, intelligent scholars, from the learned men, from all those who claim to know. I thank you that you've hidden the truth from all of them, and you've revealed it to people who are as trusting as children. So come to me, all who labor and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit. And I will give you peace and rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What yoke are we talking about? What is the yoke that Jesus laid on his own shoulders that was so easy and light for him to carry? It is nothing short of the yoke of obedience. That's what it is. All the problems that you have in your life, all the problems that I have in my life, all the problems that we share together as a church, I promise you that if we can, in humble obedience before God, sprint when He whistles, do our work with a good will, Find the thing that is in front of us that is ours to do today if we will just place upon our shoulders the yoke of obedience to Christ. The world's 
problems will evaporate just like that. We're trying to be God in the place of God. I do it all the time. You ought to see the number of ways I try to tell the drivers around me how they should really drive. Sometimes I roll down the window hoping to get a word in. Sometimes I just mutter it under my breath. I've got all kinds of advice for the drivers around me on the road. Do you know what the Spirit says to my heart? Stay in your lane. Stay inside the speed limit. Keep a safe stopping distance. When you have perfected that, I'll let you teach someone else how to drive. I'm still working on it. So much easier. So much easier to look around and pick out all the flaws and the faults and the errors and all the people around us. It's so much easier. And it tastes like honeycomb when we do it. Oh, I want more of that. I've got to have more of that. And texting has made it all the easier to just insult away. There's no there, there. It's only in obedience to Christ that we find our life itself. When Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, he didn't mean to literally live the way Jesus lived, but what he meant was take upon your shoulders the yoke of obedience to my Father, my Abba. Listen to God every day and do what God says. And the discipline that you learn in those small little moments of following every day, those will be the, the things that remain with you to the end of the age. I, I've shared this story with some of you before, but when my younger brother, by a couple of years, when he had small children, he had a son named Thomas, who I love dearly. Thomas is full grown and just graduated from Cal Poly Pomona, by the way. But I, Judy and I found a toy for Thomas when he was about three years old. It was a little plastic lawnmower with four wheels and a handle and a little plastic lawn trimmer. And the reason we bought them is that you put batteries in them and they made a really loud noise. And I thought, this is going to annoy my brother to no end. And so this will be an awesome gift. And so he opened all of his presents, and there was cake, and there was ice cream, and all of a sudden somebody said, oh, look, 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 and there was Thomas, out of that lawn, his plastic lawnmower, whirring away, and he was walking all the places where he had seen his daddy go. Then he picked up the plastic trimmer, and he started walking along the edge of the lawn, and this is the part that just got me right here. He stopped after about five steps, and he banged the trimmer on the ground <laughs> to let more string out. Because what do you do? How do you learn? You, you act like you're dead. Yeah? That's how it goes. And so, we learn through obedience. We learn at the right elbow of Jesus. We learn the discipline of doing our chores every single day. Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? Jerry, you and I know, because you said it to me the other day, it's from the movie Karate Kid. We have to do these things because wax on, wax off. 
given us a bunch of burdens and chores to do, but what he's doing is he's teaching us the kingdom of God. He's sowing seeds of grace into our hearts. And those seeds blossom and bloom. Before we know it, we have fellowship with God's own self. That's why I'm here every Sunday morning. For the fellowship with you and with God. Powerful stuff. Wonderful stuff. I've said it a thousand times since I've been here, but I'm going to say it once more. There are five surefire things that I can give you right here, right now, that are disciplines of faith. That if you take them up, will bear the kind of fruit that I'm talking about if you are obedient to these things. If you know them, you can say them with me. If you don't, write them down this morning. Daily prayer. Spend devotional time in prayer every day. Even if it's only 15 minutes. Set a kitchen timer so you know you won't miss your next appointment. Turn off your phone. Shut down the computer and turn off the news on the TV. Find a quiet place and pray. That's number one. Number two, be here in worship every week. In the church, we have communion once a month. Trustees meet once a month. Staff parish meets once a month. UMW meets once a month. Guess how often people think they're supposed to come to church? Yeah, once a month. But the rhythm of creation itself is six days plus a day of rest. That's how our bodies were made. That's how our minds were made. That's how our souls were made. Come to worship every week. And I'll see you here. Number three, read the scriptures every day. Even if it's just a verse of a psalm or part of a letter from Paul or a gospel or part of the Old Testament, spend a minute or two in the Word of God every day. Study the Word. Learn it. You can get online if there's a passage that trips you up. Trips you up. There's a thousand different commentaries. With a click of a button, you can read the Word of God. Daily prayer, weekly worship, daily in the Scriptures. Fourth one, find some people who will hold you accountable for your baptismal vows. Putting your whole trust in grace, in God, in the grace of Jesus Christ. Resisting evil and justice and oppression and whatever forms they present themselves. Upholding the church. Find someone who will hold you accountable to these things. Like my coach and his whistle. Find those people who will love you enough not to let your bus get off the rails. Then fifth, every day put into practice some work of love on behalf of Jesus. Do something because your heart is overflowing with love for Christ today. Do something for someone else. I see the person at the bottom of the freeway off ramp, and I think, who are they to stand there holding a sign and ask for money from me, from my money? Then I hear the Lord say, it's not your money. It's my money. And I love you a lot. And when I feel the warmth of God's love, I find my hand reaching into my pocket. And I give to this person less money than I'll spend on a cup of coffee at Starbucks. 
By the end of the day, I won't miss it a bit. But what I've gained is a reminder, a moment of grace, that we are in this world to offer blessing in the name of Jesus. Daily prayer, weekly worship, daily searching the scriptures, weekly accountability, and number five, some work of love on a daily basis. These are simple things, and they're not new ideas, but they are tried and true, sure and certain means of God's grace in our lives. And I have seen a 100% return rate on all people who, in a disciplined way, undertake this life of grace. This is our work. It's not complicated. Neither is it easy. It requires passion, fearless passion, focused discernment, and it requires more than a little bit of discipline in our lives. But we are, after all, Methodists. We're the ones who made discipline fun. So live the life of discipline. Let your passion and your focus meet the discipline of the Lord. And you will find yourself in the place where righteousness and peace share a holy kiss together. Amen.